0: Hello and welcome into the Celtics Lab, I'm Cameron Tepetabai, your host for this week. Before we begin, I want to make sure everyone is aware that bearing any hiccups, next week we'll do our monthly C-laboration giveaway for the month of May. This is when we work with creatives in the Celtics community and give away free swag via our Twitter page, so go ahead and check out at Celtics Lab on Twitter so you don't miss an opportunity to participate. In terms of the podcast, this week, as always, I'm joined by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn, but we're also welcoming in a special guest. Let's give a warm Celtics Lab welcome to Quinn Alberti of Slam Magazine. Q, how are you?
1: I'm good, man. How are you guys doing?
0: Can't complain. Alex, how was the gig?
2: Um, The gig was good. It was a little chilly, so my fingers felt uh, a little bit frosty, took a second to warm up, but it was really fun to play live music again. And... Man, uh, I really want to keep doing that. So,
0: yeah. Uh, Q or any new listeners, Alex plays bass for the band called Divine Sweaters, the uh, the band that opened this lovely podcast. Dr. It's Quinn, fun. how are things in Mexico? Happy Cinco de Mayo!
3: Hey, thank you. They won the Battle of Puebla, and nobody here is celebrating it because we don't.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But. I have vaccine envy. I'm watching y'all go out, do stuff, have concerts. Man, send some of that stuff down here, please.
0: Yeah, sorry, not sorry. If you see anyone uh, burning up the local basketball courts in Somerville, that's me. So uh, later in the lab portion of the programming, we are going to use cues. Uh, immense basketball knowledge to look at the possible playoff scenarios that the Celtics might be facing and try to make sense of what's in store for Boston and what might be the best shake for uh, the men in green. But first, as we're wont to do, let's go around the horn and break down the week that was for the Boston Celtics. Since we last talked, there have been uh, some really wonderful things, some things to celebrate and some ugly things. So let's start with the ugly things. Uh, The Celtics way back when lost to Oklahoma city and everyone lost to their cool. Although, Dedicated listeners will remember that Alex and I said that that was a trap game that the Celtics were definitely going to lose. Then they went ahead and played Charlotte. That was kind of of chalk. Everyone knew that was going to go down. But then, just a few days ago, I think last Friday, the Celtics played. The Spurs completely laid an egg, then roared back, forced overtime behind Jason Tatum's 60-point performance, tying Larry Bird for the franchise record. Q, I don't know if you watched the game, but uh, from where you're sitting, what do you what do you think when you see Jason Tatum drop 60?
1: You know, there are only a few players who, in recent memory, have dropped above 50 points. And all of them, I really believe all of them, have, at the very least, what you would say, all-star potential. I want to say very least because Kevin White dropped 50. If it had not been him, like, <laughs> I would say Hall of Fame. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like LeBron has dropped 50 or 60 or, you know, 61 uh, Kobe dropped his his 60-piece, his, his 70-piece Devin Booker. He might not go to the Hall of Fame, but, you know, once you get five All-Stars, you, you're almost a lot to go to the Hall of Fame, really. Like, that's really like a formula, apparently. So uh, you look at all those players who have dropped those type of numbers and for Tatum to do that and for it to come against – I mean, the Spurs aren't – like, Spurs were old. But they're they're a respectable team, a very well-coached team that we all know. And so mm-hmm. – it makes you respect the the 60 points a little bit more. So uh, I, I really think that's a great showing for him in, in terms of what he can be, you know, uh, big picture.
0: Yeah, I mean, this season's a little wonky. I I think the defense has just been so bad that maybe there's a teeny little asterisk on that, but I think you're right. It, it's, it's not an easy task. Uh, Dr. Quinn, you've been covering the Celtics for a long time. What do you think when you see – tatum go out and just take over the game because it's not just that he scored 60 points he did it efficiently and he did it
3: very well i mean he did it with zero turnovers it was Endo. it, was, it yeah. snuck up i mean the most common thing i've been hearing is people talking about how it snuck up on them and it snuck up on me too it was just watching the game uh, amazed that i was still watching it and then suddenly tatum had 50 points and then history happened right before our eyes
0: and for whatever it's worth, that the refs definitely dropped an and one opportunity, so he could have gone for sixty one. I'm hmm. sure. I actually wonder if, if Larry Bird would be happy. Larry Bird is one of those like hyper competitive dudes that I think secretly would have hated if Tatum had
3: <laughs> pulled that record up. I think everybody uh, secretly hates that stuff. They just they just put on the the good the, the job. Facebook. Oh yeah, nobody
1: wants the record to be broken for real, but you know they'll accept it if mm-hmm. they like you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd be so curious what a
0: conversation between Jason Tatum and Larry Bird would be about. I can't, Im- I don't know. That's a, that's an off-season podcast for sure. Alex, uh, huh. any thoughts on Tatum? It, it's worth noting that they were down uh, 32 at one point in that game. It's the third largest halftime
2: comeback in league history. Yeah, You, uh, you stole my point there. Thanks, Cam. That's great. I just wrote. Um, what Justin wrote. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean... Listen, 60 points, efficient shooting, no turnovers, eight rebounds, five assists. I mean, that's about as complete a game as you're going to get from any individual player against a genuinely tough, well-coached team in the Spurs. You know, the Spurs have, uh, they've been, as as you said, Q, they have not been the Spurs of old. Tim Duncan is not walking through those doors, so to uh, paraphrase, hmm. right. you know, but um But, you know, they're still tough. DeMar DeRozan has given the Celtics problems for years now. Um, They have a bunch of kind of young, bouncy, athletic wings, dudes like Kelton Johnson. Uh, Jakob Pertl is a hilarious grinder who's just there to, like, beat people up and get rebounds, which is really fun. So the Spurs are by no means a slouch of a team. So for Tatum to pull that out was really impressive and speaks highly of his future development and of his place as the cornerstone for everything Celtics are doing. And, you know, we've been saying it all year, but it does bear repeating. The Celtics ultimately are gonna go as far this year as Jason Tatum is able to take them. And that's really the story of the season. Um, One thing that I thought was interesting that I kind of observed in that game is that while it was Jason Tatum getting just about every big bucket down the stretch and racking up stats uh, and just like putting on an absolute clinic, when it came to nut crunching time, Jalen Brown was the guy who took the big shot and he made it, which I think is it speaks volumes to Tatum's uh, kind of evolution as a leader for this team that he had enough confidence in his teammate uh, to give up that shot. When in many situations, if you're the guy with sixty points, you're taking that shot every yeah. time. Yeah. Speaking of
3: nut crunching, <laughs> I was next... I was hoping someone was going to do that. Thank you. Thank you so much.
2: <laughs> the
0: next game, the Celtics. Uh, kind of dropped the ball against Portland. It was a pretty competitive game. Uh, I don't really like to get in the business of criticizing reffing, but it was a weirdly officiated game. Uh, But perhaps the most memorable moment other than a possible Jalen Brown ankle injury is when Marcus Smart just clocked uh, Nurkic right in the nuts and got called for a flagrant because it was was pretty flagrant. And uh, yeah, he probably shouldn't have done that, but that's, that rounds out the uh, the week that was for the Celtics. They dropped that one against Portland. Right now it's Wednesday night, and they're up big at the half against Orlando. Let's go ahead and say they're going to take that one. So, <laughs> Q, as an outsider looking in, we're going to get to the nitty-gritty of how the Celtics might fare in the postseason. But what do you, what do you think when you see Tatum getting hot and, as Alex pointed out, Jalen Brown putting the pieces together? When you take a macro view of the NBA, where do you see the Celtics kind of fitting in?
1: Well, I don't know. This, to be completely honest, I don't really think this is the Celtics year. But I mean, I, I think like you know, like I said, big picture, I like to look at look at things long term. So let's say next year, you know, uh, everybody on the on the Brooklyn Nets team, which is the you know the most formidable team in the conference, quote unquote, they're going to be a year older and really less formidable, kind of like the last super team the Brooklyn Nets put together. You know what I mean? So, when you look at the Celtics, they're a young team, they're building. And I think what they're learning now is that they might need to survive without Kimball Walker. You know what I mean? Like, Evan Fournier might be a better fit alongside guys like Brown and Tatum because he's more of an off-ball guy. Because with Brown growing as a as a scorer and everything, he needs to have the ball more. So, you're, like, you're making Kimball more uncomfortable. And I, I just think that the whole dynamic works better, like – like when you're, you're seeing what they have right now with the younger pieces. And uh, like I said, this might not be the stuff this year, like, but they could be real competitive in the playoffs and, you know, get the experience that they need. And who knows, they actually could, you know, make that Cinderella run. Like we saw the Raptors make a couple of years ago because they have the young pieces. They have, they have all-star potential players. And they have really – I think in today's league, you need really athletic front court pieces to To handle the, the you know, I'm going to call them super guards, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you need guys who can actually jump out on perimeter and, 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 you know, actually stunt and stop guys. And, you know, maybe Robert Williams isn't the guy you want to do that all the time, but he's a guy who I look at like a bit like Bam Adebayo. You know what I mean? Like, well, he's one of those, well, a real dynamic center. You know what I mean? So I think that this, you know, this court that they have is is something that they can look at some, and, uh, as a sustainable contender, if not a final contender. You know, final contender.
0: I bet our fans love that. Alex, what are you
1: thinking?
2: Hugh, if Robert Williams turns into Bam Adebayo, then man, I might have to buy you a drink
1: or something. I don't know. We'll have to figure something oh, out. Oh, yeah, for sure. And the reason <laughs> I say that is because one thing I really like about Robert Williams that uh, was really underrated when he first came into the league is his passing potential. And yeah. I think he's, you know, like, like he's not jockage or anything, you know what I mean? Yeah. But... But he's a really like strong passer for his position. You know what I mean? Like yeah, and you know I mean I think this dude is like you made
2: you just made the point like we're about to see in all likelihood the league MVP be a center who is very dynamic passer who can initiate offense and uh, you know kind of be that central hub uh, in Nikola Jokic and I you know I've been kind of banging this drum for a while now but. I genuinely think that Robert Williams might be the best passer in the Celtics starting lineup, just from a like pure like assist manufacturing perspective. If you think about Brown, Kemba, and Tatum, are all really really good players, but they're also score first guys. Every single one of them. Uh, Marcus Smart, you know, makes his money on the defensive end more so than anything. He can play make at times, and he's tried to step up. But if you're looking for a guy who is looking to set up his own teammates more so than his own offense. I think Rob really
1: fits that bill. He could really be he, a most effective passer. I think you're thinking right about that for sure.
2: Yeah. And, and you know, just to kind of hit on one more thing uh, related to this topic, you know, we're talking about the Celtics long term. And one thing that's happened recently that I think has actually been You know, I've been the most vocally Doomer fan on this podcast for most of the year. I've just been bummed out with every loss. And, uh, you know, that's because of my own mental health issues. But, um, you know, if you're looking kind of long term, I mean, Aaron Neesmith has completely turned his season around. This guy went from being basically unplayable to now being a pretty important part of the Celtics rotation. I think that provides a lot of optimism for kind of where this team can go. If you can get guys like Pritchard, like Neesmith, uh, you know some of these young dudes that have shown it in flashes but haven't put in it to put it together for a whole season. If you can get those guys to really take the next step in their development, the Celtics will be formidable going forward.
1: Oh, for sure. All Pritchard and especially Neesmith. and I even though Langford. You know what I'm saying, or, uh, Romeo? Like uh, all they really need is to stay on the court. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Consistency for him also includes, yes, yeah, staying on the court. But, uh, you know, just, you know, consistency. Like, Nick Smith, is, he came to the league as a 3-and-D potential guy. Like, you know, some guys would say his ceiling was Chris Middleton, but at the very least he would say his floor is a 3-and-D, maybe a Danny Green type guy. You know what I mean? And Danny Green is very useful for a championship contender. And so, it uh, it's been
0: for like two decades.
1: Yeah. Ever since he left the Cavs, unfortunately. <laughs> 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 but, yeah, that's uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I think even the guys that you don't think, well, that people don't really think about outside of Jason Tatum and, you know, Jalen Brown, like Pritchard, like I said, Pritchard Romeo and, uh, Neesmith, like these guys are really getting it together now. And I think we probably should put more consideration into the fact that there was no, a uh, regular off-season you know what i mean you no know, training camp and and you know they really basically were thrown into the fire and and you're talking about 19 year old 20 year old guys like we were all 19 20 year olds at some point in time that's like us having to get like on a real like professional job like on the first thing like oh hold on guys. wait i really know exactly what to do you know what i mean so i think we should probably think about it more like that like it's like a real employee type thing they don't They wouldn't know the exact things, but I'm I'm glad to see that they're turning around for sure.
2: Yeah, man, I'm 28, and I've never been as good as anything in my life as Aaron (laughs) D. Smith is is shooting a basketball, and he's 19.
3: (laughs) I think that's a really important point. Um, I kind of want to talk about that just a little bit more because Cameron Mm -hmm. had a Twitter thread that became pretty popular over the last couple of days uh, talking about exactly this topic. We are looking at a team, um, I'm not going to say anywhere near as eloquently as Cam Cameron did, but we are looking at a team in the midst of the worst disaster since the Second World War, if not, you know, further back than that. Um, you know, I, I know so many people who can barely get out of bed, they're so depressed with, with everything that's going on right now. They're dealing with who knows what stuff going on with their own family, um, you know, like I recently had a personal tragedy go on in my life and everyone reached out to me to, to, you know, like help me. And like, these guys have a personal tragedy in their lives and people are calling them selfish and just like utterly ridiculous things in, uh, you know, this kind of like talk radio, uh, sense of engagement. And I don't know, I think it's just really important to put into fact, in, into, into, into a good light that we're dealing with a team that, as uh, Cameron put it, lost a COVID lottery uh, far and above any other team. It was like 161 or 67 days lost to 140-something like that. That's not Mm. even kind of like regular injuries. And this team is still competing for the playoffs. It's going to crush someone's soul just just by the regular year happening, never mind everything else that's going on.
0: Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I I mean, I'm happy that people liked – uh, what I offer and I mean it, what Q you offered and Justin what you offered they intersect in a really obvious way the Celtics are the sixth youngest team in the league and they tried they're trying to make uh, magic out of a season with a no off season, barely any practices there's a chance that they're going to have two rookies in their playoff rotation and Justin to your point they're also doing this amid a pandemic and yeah the Celtics it, it does seem definitely bore the brunt of that in a way that other teams were lucky to escape. But I think that when we talk about professional athletes, we're not giving them the opportunity to be imperfect, to to have the same issues that we're facing with COVID. So uh, I think that Neesmith and Pritchard, the fact that they're coming along the way they are, they would be completely excused if they were complete disasters because they're rookies. I mean, how could they come into the league in this year under these circumstances? and perform at a playoff level. And then you have Fournier and Tatum and whomever else on the Celtics had COVID that we're not necessarily sure of the extent of which uh, it it got bad that, you know, uh, Fournier said he feels like he's perpetually concussed. Man, it's really hard to talk X's and O's when a player has an injury that no one knows how to treat. So, uh, Justin, I'm I'm embarrassed that you brought that up, but I'm, I'm thankful that that meant something to people. And um, it'll be a weird transition to try to talk about Jason Tatum's Eastern Conference Player of the Week award, but let's do it anyways. So before we get into what the postseason might look like, uh, we do have on our little docket a little more time to just gawk at how good Tatum has been playing and really, he's really elevated his game in front of our eyes. This is his third Player of the Week award, which is the first time a Celtic player has won that since Kevin Garnett.
1: Hmm.
0: I'll just let that hang in the air because that's a... Any comparison to Kevin Garnett is usually a good one. Uh, Justin, you pointed out that the ringer had Tatum ranked as the 17th best player in the NBA right now. Uh, I'm wondering what you think about that or really what anyone thinks about that. I think that player rankings are total clickbait, but the idea that you need a top five, top six, top seven player in the NBA to win a title is probably accurate. And so then you do kind of have to rank the players as such. So uh, Dr., Dr. Quinn or really anyone else, what do you think of Tatum's ranking as the 17th best player in the NBA? Is that encouraging, discouraging, or
3: somewhere in between? I wanted to be offended, but I took a close look at it, and it's pretty accurate. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean – Kyrie Irving and Jimmy Butler are being just above him, and maybe you could quibble about Jimmy Butler because he isn't shooting the three-pointer so great, I guess. Yeah,
2: but. You can't really quibble about Jimmy Butler being ahead of Jason Tatum when Jimmy Butler ate Jason Tatum's lunch money uh, in, hmm. the last, in the last part. Jimmy class. Butler's also the
0: coolest person in the NBA, so that's the right. points there. <laughs> this is probably a week or two in advance, but uh, Q, I'm sure we're going to talk about all NBA on this podcast, and hmm. Being 17th, according to The Ringer, would have Jason Tatum just outside of the All-NBA conversation. It's a little more complicated than that, obviously. Uh, if you were a betting man, I don't know if you are, do you see Jason Tatum making an All-NBA team, for example, to kind of put his 17th rank in context?
1: Well, let's see. I mean, I kind of am a betting man, but... <laughs> I'm only good when I bet on football, so. <laughs> so we'll see how this goes. Um, but honestly, I think, you know, in most seasons, I can say Tatum has played well enough in an all NBA team, but just just like just off of feeling, I don't really feel like he will make an all NBA team. You know what I mean? Like
0: yeah.
1: I can I can there's been so many guys that have been playing well this year and surprising, like surprisingly well for some some guys. So Yes, sir.
2: Yeah, well, you know, just to just to throw into context there, you know, so you're looking at the first four. So first team uh, for the forwards and second team for the forwards at this point, I think you can pretty much lock in like it's going to be some combination of Giannis, Kawhi, Durant and LeBron. Those guys are going to be on the all NBA team. So you're really looking at two available spots.
1: And Randall's probably going to get one to be completed. That's the thing. And, uh, I mean, like like I said, that's why I see Tatum getting the other. But it's not that he doesn't deserve it by pure stats, is what I would say. Or even by performance, if you don't want to just call it counting stats. It's just, you know, other guys have – I mean, you know, they just stepped their game up this year.
0: Yeah, he did – well, that's that's the second year in a row that after the All-Star game, Tatum was just – exploded and Mm. I mean I think he's showing flashes of the kind of centerpiece that takes over a game and controls the cadence of the game and that's the kind of player that can anchor a really deep uh, postseason run or a few of them and then how Jalen say that
1: again? What do you think it is that separates him and Jalen in terms of
0: I think Tatum's I'm noticing Tatum's defense to be a little more locked in and he looks a little more ready to set up other players. I don't think he's going to be a point forward. I don't think he's you know playing 3D chess and making sure that everyone's eating at the right time. But Jalen puts blinders on in a way that I think is still limiting him, certainly on defense and a little bit on offense. He calls his own number a lot, but he also goes like 12 of 14 from the floor. So it's a good number to call, right? So I think Jalen is a little less keen to to be a playmaker and to kind of manage the game in a way that Tatum, who's still up and he's many years from his prime, it uh, seems to be toying with, which I think is really cool.
2: Okay. And, you know, I think that kind of speaks to my thoughts on, uh, what's going to happen with All-NBA as well. So Q, you mentioned Randall, who's having an outstanding season. He won Player of the Month. And, you know, while I might have preferred Tatum for that award, I can't really quibble with Randall, who's had an excellent month. And then you look at a guy like Jimmy Butler, who has quietly had, I think, one of the more underrated seasons in the league this year. He's just been bringing it every night that he's been on the floor for Miami. And he's been doing kind of exactly what you just mentioned, Cam, he's he's at that next step where Butler is now going out of his way to set up his teammates to get Bam Adebayo in the right spot of the floor to make that extra pass that gets Duncan Robinson, that open corner three, for a, a Heat team that really needs every single minute of his production to get anywhere. So you, you have a really hard time arguing a case against both of those guys for all NBA. I think Tatum has had about as good a season as either of them, but I think it's going to be between those three for two spots, and it's going to be really tough to parse out who that's going to be.
1: Yeah, I agree with you on that one. And honestly, when you put it in perspective like that with the Heat, it makes it seem like you should edge a bit towards Butler because quite honestly, he has less to work with over there. But – yeah.
0: Well, how's this for uh, a transition? The Celtics have six more games after tonight. That's oh, that's 8% of the season. That's not nothing. The two of those games are against the Miami Heat. So whether it's all NBA or the Eastern Conference standings, mm-hmm. a lot hinges on this coming Sunday and the game after that, which is – I should have this in my notes Tuesday or Wednesday. Get the
1: games are always great when it comes to, you know, splitting hairs.
0: Yeah. Well – uh, let's split here hairs uh, pretty intently and jump into the Celtics lab here. So what we're going to do is we're going to take an in-depth look at three possible scenarios for the Celtics in the postseason. Uh, we're going to look at how that might come together, our thoughts on how that would bode for Boston, and perhaps even if the Celtics would play and try to tinker and try to force their way in or out of a specific seed. So uh, again, there's six games after this, after tonight. Two are against Miami, and the last game of the season is a pivotal one against the New York Knicks. So I will drop a scenario. I'll lay out why it's a pretty reasonable scenario, and we'll pick apart why perhaps that's a good or a bad thing for our Boston Celtics. So scenario number one, Boston plays its way into the 4-5 matchup. I, For the sake of ease, I'm going to say that they win the five seed and they play the Knicks. Right now, uh, the Knicks are seven games back, the Celtics are 10 games back, and although there is that one head-to-head game, uh, I'm not sure that the Celtics will be able to catch whoever the four-seed ends up being. So, our scenario number one is the Celtics are fifth uh, in the East, and they play the Knicks in the opening round of the postseason. Uh, What do we think? So, Q, is this a good thing for the Celtics? Is this a bad thing for the Celtics? Is this a good thing for NBA fans? What do you think of this scenario? Well,
1: I think it's best for NBA fans because mm-hmm. that's like a fullback matchup. You know what I mean? celtics okay. Knicks. So and it's like the new guard, you know what I mean? So, you know, Randall and Barrett, Tatum mm-hmm. and Brown, I think that would be great. Like, like in terms of like as a fan, like a pure NBA fan. Uh for the Celtics, I think that it's also a better matchup than they could have against certain other teams because I don't see I mean, RJ Barrett has been a respectable defender, whatever this year, but I don't see him having the type of wing defenders that you need to stop Tatum and Brown. And I don't really think Randall, I mean, like, I mean, as we discussed, I think Robert Williams could actually handle pretty I mean, not that he could stop Randall or anything, but I think he'd do pretty well defending him. I think they actually have a few front, front court guys that could slow down Randall. So I think that's actually a pretty good matchup for uh, the subjects on the court as, uh, as well. Cool.
2: Alex? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Q. I think that, um, I you know, ideally there may be some other teams that Celtics would like to play more than the Knicks who have had a really good season. They're, you know, tough physical team. They really have run Tom Thibodeau's system uh, as well as anybody. So, you know, the Knicks deserve respect. Uh, they've played really well. But there's a couple of matchups that I really like for the Celtics in a potential head-to-head series. I think that while R.J. Barrett has had a good season, as you just mentioned, Kemba Walker, if he's healthy, would be a problem for the New York Knicks. There's not a lot of dudes on that squad that can really frustrate him when he's in the zone. I think Robert Williams provides a level of athleticism that um, would certainly make make it difficult on the Knicks front court, And then to get back to your original point cue, the wings is the real issue more than anything. Tatum and Brown are both guys that could potentially take over those games. And, uh, you know, the Celtics are one and one against the Knicks. Last game was a really good one. Uh, the Celtics gutted it out late, uh, but it was a tight one. I think this could be a really great series for sure. But when push comes to shove, if both teams are healthy, I do think that the Celtics have a slight talent advantage there that would be favorable.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Dr. Quinn, the Knicks have been the premier defense in the NBA all season. Does that make you worried? Or are you inclined to agree? No, that them? definitely
1: makes you worry because you have to like like like, like Alvin said, like you have to respect Tibbs. You have to respect the, the defense. You have to respect you know the, the talent. You have to respect. Really, have to respect NBA talent in general. Yeah. So, I mean, I, and like you said, they're the number one defense in the NBA. So you'd be foolish not to take that into consideration, like when you're headed into the matchup. But in terms of you know how certain teams are like, just certain certain matchups are, aren't good for certain teams. I guess this is really the the one I would look at for the subject. It's like who is going to stop Tatum and Brown?
3: That's pretty much where I fall as well. The Knicks are the matchup I want to see the Celtics end up with. I don't know if they're going to be able to get there just because I'm pretty sure they're going to have to beat Miami at least once as well as the Knicks to finish the season on the back end of a the back-to-back. They will be able to get some rest if they can, you know, stay out of the playing game that will, you know, kind of make it possible to at least give yourself a reason to try playing Kemba Walker, for example, to to close out the season. If it's between you know the four or five matchup and falling to the sixth seed, I would. But they have been pretty steadfast about keeping up with that all season. That said, I think it's much more likely, and this is hopefully a good segue, uh, that we're going to end up seeing the Celtics as a six seed.
0: Yeah, last week we did have the Celtics
3: winning out uh, in a pretty big way. I think we
0: had them going eight and two. I think we're three and zero on our predictions. Thank you very much. But I I do agree that man, the Knicks just, it's not a fluke. They're going to finish strong. I don't know that they'll earn the four seed, but it does seem like the Knicks are going to be a hard team to hurdle. And the Celtics, at the time of this recording, are behind Miami and Atlanta in the standings. Uh, we the, the Celtics do have two matchups against the Heat, so that's we'll shelve that for now. But uh, Dr. Quinn, I bet you're right. I bet the 4-5 seed might just be out of reach. So let's talk about scenario number two, the Celtics plan, the sixth seed. They escape the play-in tournament, which might be nice for rest or the embarrassment of getting bounced in the play-in tournament. Mm. And the way I see it, they're probably going to play, if that's the case, the Milwaukee Bucks, who are just a game and a half behind Brooklyn, but have been very insistent on using the regular season to tinker and to learn and try to get better. So I don't necessarily see them uh, sprinting to the finish line, but I also don't know that I see the Nets doing that. So for the sake of argument, let's say they play the Bucks here. So now we are looking at a situation where the Celtics are the six seed playing the Bucks, the three seed. Q, how do you feel about that one for Boston? How do you feel about that one for Milwaukee? And how do you feel about that one for the NBA?
1: Um, I kind of feel like it's a complete... Oh, I'm not going to say a complete opposite. Like, in terms of on the court stuff, it's like it's a complete opposite, like, in terms of the matchup. Because the Bucs, while, you know, I mean, nobody really is talking about the Bucks this season. They're still a dominant team. They're still Giannis. Drew Holiday is still Drew Holiday. Chris Middleton is still Chris Middleton. They added P.J. Tucker. Uh Their defense could really should cause some problems for, for the Celtics. You know what I mean? Like, and. And um, you know the the Celtics defense, they might be able to you know like you know slow down certain players, but I don't see you know, and they they always try to throw Semi or Grant on on Giannis, but it never really works. So I don't really see them stopping Giannis either. So yeah, for sure, Alex. Um,
2: I yeah. Semi Ojale is about to be the Turkish League Defensive Player of the Year, I think.
1: Um, we'll see how that goes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, wow. Oh, that's you really feel, Alex. I mean, if
2: you're
0: right, Semi and Grant aren't up to the task of guarding Giannis, and I don't know if Jalen or Tatum are, so uh Giannis has this new little step back move that he's been working on that's pretty effective and it used to be the case that if you could get him to shoot the ball you had a chance if you could somehow keep him out of the paint and dunking all over you and your teammates and brothers and everyone else (laughs) in in the world uh now he has this nifty little step back and off the top of my head I don't know what Giannis's wingspan is I I assume it's somewhere around like 12 or 13 feet.
1: How, how are you going to block that thing? So
0: I don't know that anyone has the personnel to stop that, but certainly not this Celtics team. Uh, Alex, yeah. what do you think of when you think of a 3-6 Celtics-Bucks matchup? Man,
2: uh, that would be a really, really hard matchup for the Celtics for a variety of reasons. So obviously we have the aforementioned Greek Freak, who is just a problem for everyone always. Um Chris Middleton, of course, we all know is the Celtics assassin. He seems to have a strange grudge against the people of Boston that I don't understand, but uh, he just keeps on doing this to us in a really frightening kind of way. Uh, Chris, if you're listening, please, whatever it is that we've done to you, I'm sure that we can make amends.
1: Um,
2: And, you know, I think, you know, Q, you mentioned, but uh, kind of an underreported story on the Bucks this year is that Drew Holiday is still one of the best perimeter defenders in the game. Like, if you need that, if you need somebody to lock someone up on the wing, Drew Holiday can get that job done. He frustrated the hell out of Kyrie Irving in their matchup against the Nets uh, the other day, and I just think Kemba Walker would have an absolutely awful awful time against Drew Holiday in a seven game series. So uh, that, for a variety of reasons, would be a very, very difficult matchup for the Celtics to win. Now, I do want to be fair, the Celtics have also beaten the Bucks twice this year. Um, and for whatever reason, Marcus Smart has the mental jujitsu to get into Giannis's head and make him deeply frustrated uh, and kind of bait him into unusual, uncharacteristic mistakes. So the Bucs, the whole word on the Bucks this year kind of is that... They're playing really well. Giannis is having another MVP caliber season. Do they have the mental fortitude to grind out a seven-game series, or are they going to wilt like they did against the Heat last year, a team that frankly beat the Bucks because, in large part, they just wanted it more? It sounds a little <laughs> crass to say, but they really did, and it kind of played out that way. So the only chance I think Celtics would have against the Bucks is if Marcus and others are able to kind of get into Giannis's head and if Tatum is able to go supernova basically every game. It's a really hard matchup. It's not impossible, but I don't love the Celtics' chances for sure. Justin.
3: <laughs> Pretty much my feeling as well. Uh, the the, the over reliance on transition offense, uh, I think, is another big part of the reason why the Bucks have and continue to struggle in the postseason. The game slows down. Uh, they're a little bit more game planable in terms of their offense. It's still you still have to stop Giannis, which is as we have been you know just driving that point home, damn near impossible. But I, I do agree there is a chance. It's probably of the three top teams in the East right now the most favorable matchup. But I'm I'm not super excited about the possibility of making it out of the first round if that is the the, the, the opponent we draw.
0: So I'm gonna close the loop and uh in a surprising way, Giannis's wingspan, according to Google, is only seven three, which for a six eleven player is not preposterous. Uh, Kawhi, who's six, seven has the same wingspan. And just because it's fascinating, Taco Falls' wingspan, according to Google is eight, four. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the Sonics do have the personnel to guard.
2: Giannis. Uh, aggregators, just to be clear, Cam literally just said that Taco is the Giannis stopper. So you can <laughs> use that in your clips. <laughs> if
0: you're aggregating this podcast, <laughs> that's not going to work out for you. Uh, I think that that is, uh, perhaps a problem for the Celtics. And let's talk about scenario number three, which also could be a problem for the Celtics. In this scenario, Boston falls somewhere between 7 and 10 in the standings, probably uh, 7 or 8 at this point, although it's not impossible. In which case, they would be invited to play in the play-in tournament against presumably Miami or Atlanta or Charlotte, Indiana, or Washington. Boston's 2-1 and against Indiana, 1-2 and against Atlanta, 2-1 2-1 and against Washington and 1-0 and against Miami, but again, there's those two games looming. We won't even talk about uh, Brooklyn and Philadelphia yet, but Q, given everything that we've talked about with the problems the Celtics have faced and the obstacles and the COVID and all that, is it a disaster if they play in the play-in or it's a bad shake and this is a team that can take care of business?
1: I think that they would do well against the hornets and the wizards but they might have trouble with the hawks and the uh the heat because uh even though people you know people like really don't think of hawks as a great team And i guess also because i live down here and like Mm -hmm. seeing in person. like first off trey young is a very it's weird because he's like a mix of like like all top point guards, like, not as great, but a mix of all of them. Like, he'll have the deep range of Curry. He'll do, like, like the foul, like, foul-baiting of James Harden. You know what I mean? The pass and vision of a CP3. It's crazy. It's like he's, like, a mix of all of them. But, like, you know, like, he also has the weaknesses, like, <laughs> the defense. But that aside, like, when I think DeAndre Hunter is going to come back uh, pretty soon here. And he was having a terrific season uh, before he uh, before he got injured. Uh, yeah, Snell, they have actually there's a lot of great defenders, a lot of great backline defenders. Clint Capella is one of the top centers in the league, and he's he's like all NBA talent. Again, I don't know if he's gonna make all NBA, but he's an all NBA talent as a center. I think you know, 14 and 14 with like two and a half blocks a game on like probably like 65, 67 percent just like shooting, like you know what I mean, like like Rudy Gobert type numbers, but you know, not on the Jazz. So, I think that really could be a a tough matchup. Uh, I'm not going to say a tough matchup, but a real more evenly balanced matchup than people might think with the Celtics. Uh, The only reason I give them a a great opportunity against the Wizards, even though they have like, you know, Bradley Bill and Russell Westbrook, is because I just, I don't know. I just don't see the Wizards really. I don't know. I just can't. Yeah. Find, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I just, yeah.
0: They feel like a player short. And, man, I, lo- I love, love, love rooting for Russell Westbrook. But I'm so happy he doesn't play for my team because I wouldn't really want to count on that fourth quarter in a postseason that I cared about. So, Wizards
2: might be one of the only teams in the league that the Celtics would have a genuine front court advantage against. Yeah. They're sad,
0: too. <laughs> hmm. So, uh, Q, I'm inclined to agree. I think the Hawks' defense is pretty piss poor, but the Celtics don't necessarily buckle down and just demolish bad defenses. They, they struggle to do that, I think. Really? It, it seems like it, but it, the postseason might be very different with uh, time to actually game plan. Alex or Justin, outside of the Hawks, and again, let's just shelve the heat because we haven't seen the Celtics play the heat enough, uh, between Indiana, Charlotte, or Washington – Is there a team that, if the Celtics played them in the play-in, that you feel good about? Or perhaps is there a team that scares
2: you a little bit? I think if the Celtics can't beat any of Indiana, Charlotte, or Washington, then there are going to have to be some deeper conversations about where this franchise is headed in the long run. Um, The Celtics have done reasonably well against all of those teams. And if the Hornets have a healthy LaMelo ball and Gordon Hayward – Maybe it's a different conversation, yeah,
1: sure. but
2: uh, without without uh, Gordon Hayward back in the lineup, I would have a really hard time seeing uh, Charlotte beat the Celtics. Now, obviously, they did beat the Celtics a while back uh, without Lamelo and Hayward in a, another Sunday afternoon debacle, which the Celtics just seem to be so awful at this year. But I think when push comes to stuff, the Celtics should... Be able to handle any of those teams. I think Miami is a little tougher. Obviously, Eric Spolstra uh, kind of pulled Brad Stevens' pants down in the Eastern Conference finals last year. Jimmy Butler is a serious NBA basketball player, and Bam Adebayo would still present some real problems for the Celtics' front court. And the Celtics have really struggled against the Hawks. Uh, they've really done a poor job containing Trey Young and John Collins in particular. Um, so I think both of those teams would be a little bit tougher for sure. Um, I still think that the Celtics lose in the play in tournament. That can't be anything characterized as anything other than a tremendous disappointment, even in spite of all of the difficulties that they've had to go through this year. Dr. Quinn, I can follow that up.
3: (laughs) I mean, there's not really too much else to say. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to, I mean, if the Celtics end up, particularly in the lower, the lower seeds of the play in tournament, then they've beaten themselves, you know. I mean, or maybe a better way to say it, to touch on what we, we talked about earlier, is this year beat them. Um, it was just too much for them uh, because they shouldn't end up in the play-in tournament. And if they do, uh, I, I really do think that based on what we've seen out of them this year, that, you know, winning the requisite number of games, depending on which position they're coming into the play-in tournament at, um, it's very, very conceivable that any of these teams could realistically, based on what we've seen, beat them Enough times to advance past them, so I'm, I'm just trying to mentally steel myself for any of the negative outcomes of this potential situation, because this is just a very irregular season. It's just, it's not like anything we've ever dealt with before. And the best I think we should really be hoping for, even in the, the most optimal situation, is what Q was talking about earlier, which just really some playoff experience experience for the younger guys on the roster who haven't been to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, and just an opportunity to, to get some run before they regroup and, you know, get a ball handler for example, on the roster.
0: Man, we were so optimistic last week. What happened to
3: us?
2: <laughs> and, uh, how are you feeling about uh, the Celtics, you know, advancing past Philly and uh, making it to the Eastern Conference Finals again?
0: Well, thank you so, for asking. Uh, still on so, that train? <laughs> uh, uh, once every, I don't know, 10 days, I <laughs> tell Justin and Alex and the other folks at the Celtics Lab headquarters that. The Celtics are going to win the first round of the playoffs because Jason Tatum, you you win if you have more talent, and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are as a good a duo as really any in the NBA right now. Maybe not LeBron and Anthony Davis, but, you know. And so the Celtics will win their first round. And then they'll play the Sixers, who I'm just not buying it. That floor spacing is atrocious. What are you going to do with uh, Ben Simmons when Joel Embiid is going to work? You can't just hide on the weak side block the whole series. That doesn't make any sense. So the Celtics will then beat the Sixers. And then they're in the Eastern Conference playoffs, or finals, they get smoked by the, the Nets, but you say, hey, hats off, good
2: effort, see you next year. So, on that happy bombshell. I love uh, your enthusiasm, man. You, you, really, <laughs> you really bring it into perspective. Well, I also
0: said they were going to lose to the Thunder, so I just I just riff. Anyways, <laughs> Q. Alberti, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I want to give you just 10 seconds, plug whatever you're working on. Where can people find you? What are you working on?
1: Oh, well, uh, right now, you just find me on, you know, Slam right now or Twitter, uh, Q Sharon Albertian, but working on a few books. But those will be out probably later on this year, fall, uh, winter, but actually give me on winter time because uh, I, I want to enjoy my summer. <laughs> hey, Farby, you're,
0: yeah. you got a bunch of teachers on the call. We're not going to rush
1: you on that. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. You guys understand. Yeah. You, you got only get the summer out. Yeah. So. <laughs>
0: With Q, thanks for coming on. Uh, we we'll look forward to there. talking about sure. these books that you've got in the works. So we'll have to oh, have man. you on again.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure, guys. Uh, yeah, it was definitely a joy. And, you know, I love you, Doc.
0: Yeah, on the <laughs> behalf of our Dr. Quinn, on the behalf of Alex, on behalf of Celtics Lab fans everywhere, thanks for listening. Go ahead, like, subscribe, buy our T-shirts
3: that we're always telling you to buy. And we will catch you all next week. Thanks for listening.